Hello and welcome to episode seven of the Long Shot Podcast, brought to you by 342 Productions. I'm your host, Duncan Robinson, as always, and I'm here with my good friend, Davis Reed. Episode seven, how we feeling? Uh, we're feeling good, man. We're uh, I'm back in Miami, which is exciting, uh, coming off a 14-day road trip, little West Coast swing, if you will. Uh, which ended on a on a positive, which is great for not only myself but uh, the entire Miami Heat organization. So certainly nice to be back in Miami, particularly after ending it in Oklahoma City. Let me tell you, there is a stark contrast between Oklahoma City and Miami. <laughs> uh, yeah, but like you said, you guys were you guys were on the road for a while, two weeks, uh, bouncing all over the place. Is it exhausting? Is it exciting? I, you know, travel is obviously a lot different this year than it would be in a typical year, so you can't really do much. Uh, but I assume it's very nice to be back. It's it's definitely, I don't want to say a grind because I try to keep in perspective that we're playing a, a kid's game and, and putting a ball in a hoop. Um, but, you know, the travel is a lot. You learn to appreciate good hotel pillows. I'm I'm not I'm not a hotel snob. I've had many nights, particularly in the G League, in you know a nice four point by Sheridan, uh, perfectly fine with me. So I'm not a hotel snob, but I have learned, one, like I said, to really appreciate a hotel that has nice linens and a nice pillow. That's a difference maker on the road. Uh, I'm not quite at the point where I bring my own pillow. I think there are vets that understand that and do that. I don't do that. So I'm, I'm really relying on the hotels. So we were about, we were betting about 75%. I think about three quarters of the hotels had good pillows, uh, but a couple of the stops could have been better. All right, let's call them out. Who were they? Bad hotel, bad hotel pillows. Go. Well, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Well, I'll, I'll say this. The, the one thing and not, not to come with their pillows, but the hotel in Oklahoma City is a fascinating one. It's the Skirvin Hotel, which is this old, I think it's actually owned by Sheridan. Uh, you know, normally we, we stay in, I think we have a deal with Four Seasons. I'm not exactly sure how it breaks, breaks down, but that's usually where we're staying. But there isn't a Four Seasons in Oklahoma City. So we stay at the Skirvin Hotel, which I encourage you all to look this up. It is haunted. <laughs> There's a story like some years ago, I don't know, 30, 40, whatever years ago, that somebody was like held hostage and murdered on one of the floors. This is true. I'm not making this up. Oh, God. And so now it, it's my least favorite hotel just because of that. It just is a, an eerie eerie feeling being in that hotel everything's old everything creaks and then you just have all everyone you know mentioning stories about oh you know back when we stayed here in 2012 this happened and that happened and it's just like it, it just doesn't ease the mind we are starting this episode on a weird a weird note but now i'm fascinated i have heard you say this before uh do you have any personal stories of a scream in the middle of the night or you know something that went awry I don't, but we had, I'm not going to name names, but earlier on in my heat tenure, it got to the point where two teammates had to stay in the same room <laughs> because there was such fear over what was going on in that hotel. And it's, it's, let me put it this way. I don't think they're totally crazy for doing so. I'm not saying that I've had anything weird happen, but there's like been reported issues of sounds, creaks. I think there's been like visual sightings, curtains moving, you know, that type of thing. Uh, once again, this is getting a little convoluted <laughs> and we're getting a little bit in the weeds here. But if anybody is going to Oklahoma City, maybe you're into that type of thing and you should check out the Skirvin Hotel. But if you're not, then maybe steer clear. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Isn't there a TV show where people are chasing for uh, haunted or chasing ghosts, chasing for haunted? Houses? I think there is, and I'm sure that they've made a stop at that hotel. If they if they haven't, then they should. Is there a campaign, or has there ever been a campaign to switch hotels? That's above my pay grade, Dave. <laughs> I just I, I I just show up, uh, do my best every night to, uh, like I said, put a put a ball in the hoop and and stop the other team from doing so. Um, so yeah, that that's that's basically. I don't know how the West Coast swing summary turned into you know a five minute rant on the Scriven Hotel, but here I'm we so are. I'm so glad it did. I'm so glad that it did. 
the uh, the real highlight of the trip, though, once again, it just keeps coming back to Oklahoma City, is that you made an appearance at one of our games, and it wasn't without trials and tribulations. So why don't you tell the people a little bit about what happened? If they didn't have the pleasure of following you on Instagram, uh, you were giving them updates, which I, I not to shamelessly plug your Instagram, I highly recommend you all do follow. But uh, yeah, tell the little people a bit about what happened. So here's what you have to understand about the Midwest. We drive everywhere. So it's about a four, four and a half hour drive from Kansas City to Oklahoma City. That's like going to the grocery store. You know, that's nothing. So when I heard that I could potentially come down and watch you guys play, I was all in. I asked my mom and my sister to join me. Uh, Thankfully, they're always down for an adventure. So we packed up the car and we headed down uh, uh, in time to get to the game. You know, we, we planned it out so we'd get down like an hour before the game. Again, it's like a four, four and a half hour drive. About three hours in, we blow a tire, back left tire. My sister's driving. Things start to get a little bumpy. Uh, we don't know if it's the road or what's going on, but we, we quickly realize it's a tire. So she pulls off to the side. We're on the interstate, mind you. So we're now on the, the side of the interstate, blown back left tire, semis whizzing by us. It's not a safe situation at all. On top of this, it's like six o'clock. We're about... We're about two hours out of, of Oklahoma City, and it's an eight o'clock tip. So we don't have much time to, to, uh, to waste here. So my mom calls AAA. We're, we're seeing if AAA can come replace the tire for us. It's going to be a three-hour wait until AAA can get to us because we are about an hour south of Wichita, Kansas, which for anyone who knows the Midwest means we are really in the middle of nowhere. We're like an hour south of Wichita, hour and a half, two hours from Oklahoma City. So, you know, Duncan, there are moments in everyone's career that define who you are. Right. And so I looked at my mom. I looked at my sister. I said, guys, hop on my back. I got this. I you got rolled this up tire. the sleeves. I rolled up the sleeves. I took off the jacket. I said, here we go. Let's do this. Wow. Is this, was this your first time ever attempting to change a tire? No, no, no. I'd done it before. So I had some confidence behind me. But keep in mind, we are on the side of the interstate. We're about five feet away from cars whizzing by us. It is not at all a safe situation. Also, it's the back left tire, and we pull off on the right side of the road, which means to change Ooh. the tire, I am right there by by traffic. Mm. So it's not good. But, you know, we have to get this accomplished. So my mother, bless her, she walks about 50 yards behind the car, starts waving her hands, getting cars in the other lane. She's not on the interstate, mind you, but she's doing her best to, to get people's attention while I'm just going to work. We get the spare on, mission accomplished, but that's only checking off like the first issue of many issues now that we face. We've got a donut spare tire on that's not supposed to go more than 50 miles. We are yeah. we are 60 miles past Wichita and about 120 miles to Oklahoma City with really nothing in between. So you're kind of in you're kind of in like the no man's land of like what do we do? Like there's some serious like you got to do some reflection on like what's the right right play here. It's soul searching at this point. Yeah. So we either go back to Wichita, get a new tire, and then go back to Kansas City because we're not right. Gonna you missed the game at that point. Missed the game. Here's the other wrinkle though. It's like six o'clock, so tire places are closed, which means if we're going back to Wichita, we're staying the night in Wichita, getting the tire fixed in the morning, and going home. The other option is, let's achieve greatness. Let's get to Oklahoma City. Just keep pushing. And, you know, here's the beautiful thing about my mother and my sister. No words needed to be exchanged. We looked at each other and we knew we're pushing forward. So we get in the car. We're going to Oklahoma City. Mind you, this spare very clearly states no more than 50 miles an hour, no more than 50 miles. So I just want a massive disclaimer here. I do not recommend anyone do what we did. We went 120 miles at 50 miles an hour got to Oklahoma city. And let me tell you, the, there are moments where you start to appreciate like the, the subtle things in life. Driving 120 miles on a spare tire is one of them. Like I, I started to appreciate having four solid tires, which yeah. no one sits in a car and appreciates their tires. You take for granted. Yeah. I will do that forever moving forward because at any moment we knew that that spare could have blown. And then what do we do now? We have no spare. We're on the side of the road in the middle of nowhere. So it was risky. It probably wasn't the smartest decision, but ladies and gentlemen, we got to Oklahoma city at about eight 15 tip off was at eight. So by the time we got into the stadium, uh, Duncan had already hit a three. We missed that, but we saw, uh, what we did see was the other 19 
that, that followed uh, and a heat win. And Duncan, I don't want to take all responsibility, but the point of me telling this story is I think I deserve a sprinkle uh, because it just felt like destiny. It felt like I was supposed to be there. You guys were supposed to win that game. The stars just, the stars aligned. Yeah, well, well going into that game, you know, we knew it was a, a little bit of a, a trap game with, you know, we we're coming off a emotional win in LA, beating the Lakers, obviously a team that we had just played in the finals and, and wanted to enact some revenge on. It's the last game of a long road trip. Everyone's kind of itching to get home. So it's kind of your quintessential trap game. Something that we really talked about was if we're going to win this, we got to show some grit. But what it sounds like is it sounds like you really set the tone in that the grit started <laughs> well before tip off somewhere off the highway in, you know, southeast Wichita, yeah. Kansas yeah. Uh, is, is where the grit was initially displayed. And from there, we just carried the torch is what it seems like. I'll tell you what, I gave it everything I had, you know, like we were going to give it our all to, to have that day be a successful one. I, uh, I will say Oklahoma city, Chesapeake arena took great care of us. There were five of us that, that came to the game. So I drove down with my mom and my sister and then two friends uh, of mine came to the game with me. So there were five of us. I believe you told me Miami got eight guest tickets. The entire team got yeah, eight guest were, tickets. You were on the VIP list for sure. We you took five of them. We took five to of them. to be a select view. Well, with that being said, I think it, it's not like I get some sort of, you know, ridiculous, uh, <laughs> privilege on, on that front. I think it's more so that just most people don't have uh, people in Oklahoma City that are itching to come to heat games, I think is more so what it is. I wanted to position this as, yeah, you had uh, extreme pull within the organization, but it's it's true. We actually, when we walked in, the ladies who were checking us in told us that this was the first time that more than one or two uh, guests of the opposing team were at the game. So they were fired up. For them, it was like a party. There were five of us. They were giving us food, giving us water. We sat up Love at the it. club level. It was amazing. And it was, it was actually really interesting. I don't know if you felt this as a player, but from the stands, it was such a contrast from Miami because I've had the privilege to go to a couple games in Miami and they're now letting fans, they're playing music. You guys have the DJ, the mascot. It feels like an NBA environment. It's just the stands aren't as full. In Oklahoma City, no mascot. The music is much quieter. There were probably 20 people in the stands. Like it was just guests of the teams. So it was so much quieter from the stands. I was curious if you felt the same on the court. Yeah, I mean, uh, the Oklahoma City game felt much more like the games where there've just been no fans at all, uh, which once again is the case for for many of the places that we play. Actually, interestingly enough, we we had a handful of stops on this road trip that did have fans. Houston had fans. Utah had fans. Um, but the other California teams, there there were no fans. So it's it's kind of been an interesting contrast between playing in front of. Once again, it's only a couple thousand, but I think I've said this before on this podcast and that when you are you grow accustomed to playing in front of nobody, a couple thousand feels like a packed venue. So yeah, I think last night, um, we're recording this on Tuesday, so this is last night as in against Oklahoma City, uh, felt like just an empty gym. Uh, but of course, it was not empty in that uh, I was privileged enough to have to have you and really, really your family in attendance. Yeah, it was great. It was great. And thank you again for the tickets. It was it was awesome. Um, I wanted to ask you about the Max's Nice video. Have you seen that yet? Davis, do you think I've seen it? <laughs> Realistically, do you, do you think that somebody with millions of followers on Instagram makes a parody video making fun of the way that I run? You <laughs> think that in, in what world would I have not been sent that video hundreds and hundreds of times? I thought maybe you'd uh intentionally blocked it out i don't know i will say I, I am in the midst of a little bit of an instagram cleanse but that one's been sent to me a uh, handful of times to say the least so what do we think did he nail the form it's pretty accurate i think i mean I, the running is kind of funny like I, I get that um and and i think he's funny i think in general those like it's it's in good fun and uh the running, I, I I got a little chuckle out of. I don't I don't fully think like the shot recreation is like totally there. Like I don't think the form is really all that similar. But uh, I do applaud them for the effort. And and honestly, I I feel in some respects like it's a little bit of a career milestone to now be sure. to the point where I can get like made fun of. You know, it's like it's almost like if you know 
if you're not if you're not getting talked about at all then it's like you know i don't really know where i'm going with this <laughs> no 100 uh, percent. it's like if it's like if saturday night live makes fun of you it's like you're clearly relevant right and and here's uh, is that a massive compliment to to max is nice maybe for those who don't know he's uh you know imitating players on social media uh you know making fun of typically making fun of the way that they move or and i agree with you the shot was a a c the run was an a the run was the run is what really uh, made that video special yeah i'll give him some credit on the run i i threw i commented on it i i laughed I, I thought it was funny um and and he seems like a good dude never met him personally but we've interacted a little bit uh via social media but speaking of social media let's transition into our reddit question of the week what do you got yeah let's do it uh this one comes from Gee carbono goat i wanted to say guy but of course it's Gee, hockey legend he gets credit for the post, but it's it's posting a quote that comes from uh, Spolstra postgame against the Lakers, which is legendary. I don't know if you've seen this, uh, but Spo after the game, after you guys beat the Lakers, was asked about LeBron and uh, the matchup in the finals. And he said in the finals, LeBron was making adjustments to our adjustments to the adjustments and not making an adjustment to the adjustment. I thought about making an adjustment and he knew I was making a bluff. So legendary quote from Spo, but it, I think what he's trying to say here is just giving LeBron credit for how intelligent he is on the court. And especially after he plays a team in the finals six times, I assume he has a great grasp on what's going on. Uh, and the purpose of this post isn't to give LeBron a ton of credit, but it's more, I'm, I'm curious for you, now that you guys have played them, is the approach different because you had that battle with them last season, obviously rosters change a little bit, but do you feel like you know them very well? And that wasn't just like a typical regular season game. It, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Uh, you know, we're going through walkthrough and, and kind of talking over some things. Obviously a lot of what we were looking back on was the series last year and that that would kind of serve as a starting point for game plans and that sort of thing. Um, you know, he's LeBron is, is so, strategic in, in how he approaches the game. Um, I think it, it gets talked about so much to the point where, I don't know, it can just kind of be lip service, I guess, but it, it's it's talked about for good reason um, and that it, it's very real and that I didn't realize it until I was in it and that really in the playoffs last year or in the finals, it's almost like he's playing chess in that when he gets the ball at the top of the key, He's like moving players, pointing, manipulating things, getting the the floor structured to exactly his liking before he attacks. Um, and I think that it's magnified in the playoffs because the possessions go down, the game is slowed down, and every possession matters more. So he gets to that. You don't see it a lot during the regular season, or I should say you don't see it as much, maybe you know, the last four or five minutes of a game. What was really interesting about this game is that I think because of the familiarity between the two teams, as we just played, you know, whatever, four or five months ago in, in, a, in a six game series, is that he got to that stuff way earlier than I think anybody expected. Um, and I, I just thought it was interesting in that, you know, you, you had this feel early on that it was just kind of going to be a a regular season game where you kind of go back and forth and teams go on runs and this and that. And it changed pretty, pretty early on where it felt totally different and it reflected in the score. You know, the score was down, I think it was 94, 96 or, or whatever it was. The scoring was down, the possessions were down and large part was particularly offensively for them is they started to get LeBron, I should say, started to get strategic on how they were going to attack us. And I think, I'm not like pretending to be inside his mind, but I, I imagine a part of that is due to the fact that they know how familiar we are with them and what they want to do offensively. So I think he felt that he kind of needed to take it to a little bit more detailed, specific level on really getting the spacing and, and the floor set up the right way to attack. I thought it was really interesting watching that game. And you obviously know this better than I do, but it felt different than a typical regular season game like it did feel like down the stretch particularly LeBron and the Lakers were doing similar things that they were doing to you guys in the finals where he was putting you in a lot of pick and rolls he was putting Tyler in pick and rolls like he was getting to that action whenever he could and it became like this chess match like you said of okay how are we going to you know alter this coverage because yeah I mean he'd seen this 
quite a bit, like you talked about. So it did, it, it had that feel. Uh, I'm curious. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I'm off there, but um, no, I think, I, I think you're right. I think that that typically will happen late in even regular season games. You know, uh, there, there have been games this year that have felt like that, particularly in the last five or six minutes last year. I, I wasn't able to reflect on, Oh yeah, that felt like a playoff game because I didn't know what a playoff game felt <laughs> right, like, right. but now having had the experience of being in the playoffs, I can now speak to that. And like even we had a couple games against the Knicks, it actually felt coming down the wire like playoff games. Um, so I don't think the Lakers one was like totally unique. Um, I think that it sticks out a little bit just because of the history, the recent history that we have um, between the two of us. But definitely interesting um, and definitely worth noting. So yeah, I, I love the quote from from Spo. I, I think. <laughs> Just the the two of them, um, two great basketball minds, and I think it speaks to just how much, like the mental manipulating a game, controlling a game matters at this level. Yeah. Um, all right, you want to hit our long shot feature this week? Yeah, we got a great one. Uh, this has been a favorite segment of mine uh, repeatedly, and this one is is not going to disappoint at all. We got our guy Sam Grew. Yeah, my guy Sam. Grew up a stud athlete in the great state of Indiana, the Hoosier State. He was playing football, uh, seventh grade. He starts to experience some pain in his right leg. This is a this is what now six seven years ago. Uh, starts to experience some pain in his right leg. Later that year, he learns that he has bone cancer in his right knee. And if he wants to continue to be able to be mobile and active, that they were going to need to amputate his leg. Yeah. So he gets his leg amputated after about six months in the hospital and a successful procedure. He gets back to what he loves most. And of course, that's sports and competing. So he continues to play football, basketball, lacrosse, all on a prosthetic leg. And eventually finds track and field uh, after learning how to walk, basically reteach himself how to move and walk and run. Uh, so he finds track and field and he starts doing high jumping. And a few years later in 2015, he worked his way up to becoming the world champion in 2015 uh, in the Paralympics. That's insane. It's just like, yeah, fast forward a couple of years and uh, now he's a world champion. Right. It's like, what? It's just what it, it's uh, just incredible. So that's not where the accolades stop. He goes on to win the silver medal in the Rio Paralympics in 2016 and the gold medal in the 2017 and 2019 World Championships. And yeah, now wow. he is on campus at Notre Dame. He's on the track team and he'll be graduating this spring and, of course, attending medical school. And all while training for the Tokyo Olympics. So it's a pretty, pretty impressive story to hear, you know, to come from bone cancer at a young age to now turn the ultimate adversity into just an incredible turnaround and the the blessing that he is now living today, a world champion and on his way to, you know, becoming a doctor. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. Amazing. He was, uh, he was, his story was recommended to us, brought to us by his coach uh, his high jump coach. And, uh, he sent some videos over that were just kind of telling a story. Um, cause his story has been somewhat fairly documented. I think there was like an ESPN special on him a couple of years ago, but yeah, it's just amazing. It's just amazing. And in those videos, it talks about how yeah he had never done track and field before, but now that he has a, a new leg and prosthetic leg, and he's got to figure out kind of how he can maneuver and what he can do on it, he finds track and field and yeah. Then like you said, the rest is the rest is history. So another okay. remarkable story, another remarkable story. We're keeping them rolling. That's big time. Uh, so shout out to Sam. We're excited to push out some of the content you guys can, you know, maybe see him jump. I don't know if we have that, that ability, um, <laughs> but certainly some, some pictures just kind of documenting his story. So once again, shout out to Sam. Yep, absolutely. Um, and then we got a great discussion, excited for it. K Nunn. Kendrick Nunn, a.k.a. Nunn Better. Uh, this is a fun one. Instead of one word, I'm going to use a little, uh, I can't remember what you call them, but like a, a hyphenated kind of uh, <laughs> little saying. I'm going to call it uh, 
in the mud. Ooh. Or out out the mud. Let's go out the mud. Out the mud. This because I think Kanan just everything hearing his story, um, you know, coming from Chicago and just all the adversity that he's faced along the way to get to where he is. It is safe to say that Kendrick got it out the mud. Yeah, I agree. You kind of cheated there. I think we're supposed to, but it's but it's a hyphenated one word out the mud. So it's three words hyphenated into one. We'll let it go this time because it's accurate. I I'll say this. My takeaway from the conversation with him is his confidence is inspiring and it's well-deserved for the record. Like he talks about all the work he's put in to earn that confidence because he has, but it was, it's just palpable. Like he came through the screen. I think I left the conversation more confident in myself just from talking to him. You're feeling like you could go out there and get 15 and seven. I really think I could. Yeah. I, I really, speaking think I of could. which, speaking of which keep on the lookout. We got a Davis Reed highlight tape dropping this week. Pretty exciting stuff. <laughs> Uh, not quite the dynamic lefty that Kendrick is, but he's a pretty dynamic lefty. I don't know if I'm excited for this to happen, but yes, I'm thrilled. I can't wait. Coming. All right, here's Kendrick. All right, we're here with Kendrick Nunn, aka uh, Nunn Better. We got the four-time high school basketball state champion in the state of Illinois. That's four time, four straight. Horizon League Player of the Year, NBA Summer League first team, NBA record, that's a record, for most points in the first five NBA games by an undrafted player. First undrafted player in NBA history to record multiple Rookie of the Month awards. Fastest rookie in Miami Heat history to score 500 points. And of course, last year, NBA All-Rookie first team, K Nunn. Appreciate you taking the time, man. Welcome to the Long Shot Podcast. Yes, sir. Appreciate you, bro. Thanks for having me. Of course, man. This one is uh, this one's well overdue. I've uh, been meaning to have you on for a while, but I actually I want to take it back a little bit. Obviously, you know, many people know us now as teammates, yeah. but uh, you know, we go back a little bit further. I remember playing against you in college. I was at Michigan, of course. You were at at Illinois, yeah. and. You know, I was just talking to Davis about this looking back and, you know, your game has changed so much since then. I remember early on in your career, a lot of your shots would come through catch and shoot. They had like the one play where they'd like pin down for you in the corner, you get to your left. Uh, But other than that, you were a lot of it was like residual action. And now here you are, you know, fast forward senior year Oakland. I'm watching you give, uh, you know, Michigan State 40. Um, watching you kill the G League, and then, of course, you break onto the scene. Can you just talk a little bit about the development of your game and how you've now really turned into an elite three-level scorer? Yeah. I mean, it goes all the way back to uh, even before high school. Man, I've been getting buckets for years, bro. Like, um, AAU, like middle school days. Let them know. And, And them days was like, I couldn't really dribble that good, but somehow I was putting the ball in the bucket, you know what I'm saying? It was just all straight catching shoots, like you said, like threes, layups, you know what I'm saying? I was I was always faster than everybody, so I was get by people and get laps and stuff like that. But my game, my development has been it's been huge, bro. Like just over the years I've just been in the gym just constantly working on the things that I know that I need to work on. You know what I'm saying? And I think um when I got around college, uh, when I was at Oakland, that's when I really developed um, some, like, ball skills, you know what I'm saying? Like, passing, dribbling, like, that's when I really developed that. And it, and, and I took it and ran with it, and it just made my scoring more elite. Yeah, talk a little bit more about Oakland because, you know, you in theory, people think, you know, you, you go down a level, you transfer down a level, but for you, like – you have this unique opportunity where the keys are yours, basically. Like, it's it's all things go. If Oakland's going to win, it's because K-9 is putting the ball in the basket. And, uh-huh. you know, you described it the best. Like, people now just know you as a bucket. Like, you can just get to it. But yeah. did, did playing at Oakland and having that responsibility to basically just be a scorer – help you a lot in, in developing that that skill because i think scoring and, and scoring in that fashion you know getting buckets and bunches is truly just a skill that you either have or you don't yeah i mean I, it, it definitely is 
But um, I think it's when Oakland is when I really had put myself on a map uh, when I show my talents to the world. But even going back to Illinois, like before I left there, I was, I mean, like junior year, I was averaging 15, 16, and five. So I always had that uh, natural ability to score. Then when I got to Oakland, I had red shirt the first year I was there. And I took that year so seriously, bro. It was like every every practice was game time for me. So that's when I was working on my game and practice during that red shirt year. And, I, and pit, uh, the team knew like what I was going to do going into um, my last year because I was doing it every day in practice. And that's where it really started. Yeah, so you have a breakout. Well, not a breakout. Like you said, you were averaging 15 at Illinois, but you take your scoring to a completely different level. I think you're, what, second in the country in scoring as a senior? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and, and still, you know, draft night comes around, you know, similarly to me. I mean, you had a way better chance of getting drafted than I did. Uh, but sure. you still don't hear your name called. Right. At that point, is it like, you know, you you probably at that point felt like, man, like I, I've proven that I can do this. There's still people saying that, you know, not not good enough, can't do it at this level, whatever. Is it just adding to the chip at that point of like, all right, well, wherever I'm going to be, G League, you know, preseason, whatever it is, like I'm just going to go kill and do what I've always done. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the mindset I had to have, bro. Like like my senior year at Oakland, I was number two in, in the nation and scoring right behind Trey Young. Like I was averaging like 26, I think, something like that, 25, 26. And, I mean, I displayed a lot of my skills. I was passing the ball, you know what I'm saying? And at Oakland, we really had a nice team, bro. But the thing about it was we had, nobody really played any defense. Think about it. We had three all-Horizon all League players. It was me, Jalen Hayes, and Martez uh, Walker, all lefties. You know what I'm saying? Yep. We was all bucket getters. <laughs> so, I mean – just going into that year, it was crazy. And playing with them guys, it was it was crazy too. Like at Oakland, we we would have a starting line with all lefties, bro. I've never been on a team like that, and we was hard to guard, so we were just running up on people. But the thing was, is like we didn't play that much defense, so we had like a five hundred type season. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> that was that. As a uh, as a fellow lefty, I really appreciate that you guys had a lineup of lefties that were just giving people buckets. Um, so so like Duncan says, you go undrafted, uh, yeah, and then you and then you go to Golden State, play for Santa Cruz in the G League. I'm always fascinated by this, and Duncan's talked a little bit about this too. But it's almost like I'm curious to get your opinion on this. It's almost like sometimes going undrafted can be a benefit in the sense that you then get to choose where you go. Yeah. I'm curious if you felt that way and then why you chose uh, Golden State. Yeah, bro. I was I was so pissed because, like, even my coach, even Coach Campy was feeding me, like, we're going to get you in the lottery. Like, you're a lottery player. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay, I'm getting drafted this year. Number two in the nation. You know what I'm saying? Hey, I let the chips fall where they are. Come draft night, I'm waiting around, have a draft party and stuff like that. And, um, didn't get the call, right? So it was getting down to the around the last picks. And I got a call from the Warriors. And they wanted to sign me to a, a non-guaranteed deal. So that's when I signed with them. And it was kind of it was beneficial, like you said, because I get to I get to move wherever I wanted to. I wasn't locked down with the team, you know what I'm saying? So I got I got to be able to choose a little bit. So I signed with the Warriors and uh, went to training camp with them. And from then, I was I was just focused on trying to make that roster. You know what I'm saying? As a as a minimum guy, they had a roster spot as well too. So that was it played to my advantage a little bit. But then from training camp from the Warriors, I got waived then too. So it was a it was a it was a long journey for sure. So you you go to Golden State. You know you're you're in camp with obviously you know that that roster has so yeah. much talent. How are you in a camp like that? And I've also heard that, you know, Warriors camp or just really other NBA camps aren't exactly what it is in Miami. All I know yeah. is is Miami Heat camp, you know, where we're competing and playing. On the day in, day out of, of that preseason, that camp, 
are you getting opportunities to like go up against these guys and prove yourself or is it more so just like not really those those moments where you can really showcase like man I, I deserve to be on this team yeah it was um it was a definitely a different type of training camp because we would go the first week we would do um we would do tour days but they were very light you know what i'm saying we had steph katie clay draymond livingston uh, a bunch of guys that was on that team a bunch of veteran guys and so it was light the training camp was real light and the second part the second half of the day uh the second practice we would go back and we would scrimmage a little bit and that's where you get a chance to play against uh, other guys and we definitely had some scrimmages and um you get to show yourself some some but when you're playing with those guys fresh out of college i was a bit passive you know what i'm saying i wasn't as, as aggressive right kd telling me to be myself but i'm on a team with steph curry you know what i'm saying i always looked up to steph so i'm trying to get him the ball <laughs> it was crazy bro but we um it was some it was fun i got to show some some spurts of my game but i didn't i don't think i've got to show the full my full package because the games were so short and it was it was real spot you know what i'm saying so you end up going and playing in santa cruz uh where once again you know we played against each other a bunch i was in sioux falls you were in santa cruz and i think some people don't even realize this i mean i think you averaged 20 a game in the g league but you still were coming off the bench for that team so how did how did that help you kind of once again hone this skill of just being this scoring punch and this scoring spark because you know you you're in camp with the Warriors you get sent to to Santa Cruz and I got to imagine for you like I mean let's be honest you you should have been starting on that team like you're more than good enough to be starting but they still have something slated a role slated for you different yeah but that was tough bro that was very tough for me because coming from training camp like we would play one, like all the guards, we would play ones after practice. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. All Everybody, all the guards, it'd be like five or six of us. And I would run the whole ones, you know what I'm saying? Each spot type type shit. And then to get waived and have to go to the G League after that, I'm like, damn, like, did they just see what I'm doing to these people? Like, <laughs> like I'm really not supposed to be down here. So. <laughs> It was kind of crazy, bro. And then, and then when I got there, they were telling me that I'm not starting. I'm coming off the bench. I'm hold on, like who you gonna start? <laughs> like what's going on, bro? So that was that was hard to take, but I accepted that role and I just I just controlled what I could. And, and every time I got on the floor, I just I just controlled what I could and just played my type of game. I was at the Summer League in Vegas in 2019 uh, when you were with Miami. So that following year. They call that they call that Canaan Summer League now. He, yep. he took over that Summer League. That's what they call it now. <laughs> yep, Canaan Summer League, first team all Summer League. Uh, and, and I think to the common fan, which I'm grouping myself in, it was kind of like you had came out of nowhere that summer. Like I remember right. in one of the games in the small gyms there in Vegas, you had like 30 uh, game-winning steal against, Duncan and I were talking about this for, before, I think it was Utah, Regardless, you it was like you burst on the scene out of nowhere. But hearing you talk about this now, it's like these whole two years before that, it's like you're killing it in Oakland and then you're killing it in the G League at Golden State, but it's it's so under the radar. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, how impatient are you in those years leading up to that? Is it is it like trusting the process and knowing that that opportunity is going to come? Or are you just itching for that chance? And, and I assume there's some frustration that comes in um yeah man a lot of patience for sure bro a lot of patience bro because every night i'm going out and doing what i do you know what i'm saying every night consistently for some years so i just had to be patient with like some opportunity is going to come sooner or later from somewhere and i just constantly told myself that to stick to the process stick to the grind and opportunity is going to come it has to come that's what i just always told myself i i just fed myself that that positive that positive talk and uh, it worked out for me 
as you said, the the opportunity uh, definitely came and kind of in a unique way in that I think it was what it was the last day of the regular season of that year, yeah. uh, our first year as as pros that the Heat signed you to a, a, a multi-year deal. I think at that point it was pretty much non-guaranteed. Am I right? Yep, non-guaranteed. Um, but like you said, it, it was a chance. And then, you know, from there, you and I are kind of like reintroduced. We we spend that entire summer leading up to Summer League in Miami. Yeah. And if there's one thing I remember from that summer, it's that you were absolutely killing people in open gym. <laughs> like, it, like, First of all, our, our schedule that summer, as I know you remember, was crazy yeah. in that what they had us doing. Like we were we were just working hard, um, not crazy in a bad way, but just like it was just every single day. And yeah, it was putting it out. So. Yeah, I think between the three of us, uh, myself, you, and and Yante, like we we were loving it, uh, playing a ton of pickup, you know, lifting, conditioning, everything. Like and it was all gearing up for this summer league. And then of course, like for me, I just remember thinking. When you were killing in summer league, like this is nothing new. Like I, I just watched him kill people in open gym, like NBA players in open gym in Miami right. for two months straight. Like of course he's gonna go and have thirty, and then to see everyone else being like Kendrick Nunn, Kendrick Nunn. It's like at that point, do you view that summer league as like this inflection point of like, all right, people are starting to notice, like people are starting to put some respect on my name. Yeah, I think um, the first. Remember, I played, uh, I went to Summer League with the Warriors for the first time. Yeah. And I was killing, bro. Like, yeah. We played was, you guys the first game. Yeah. Yeah. I was camp. I remember Bam played Summer League then. Yeah. So, In Sacramento. Yep. D Jones, I remember. And uh, we took a dub from y'all. Like, yeah. I, I needed that. <laughs> so, <laughs> you had a light 20, too. A light 20. <laughs> yeah. So I was. I had a great summer league the first year. Then I'm coming back for the second year. I'm like, oh, this is going to be some cake. Like, I've been here before. And, like, I've been putting in hours the entire summer leading up to it. So I'm prepared. You know what I'm saying? So then going into it, it was just it was just so much easier. And then, like, playing with you guys up until then, the chemistry was just there. So we was just running through people. Yeah. I also remember after summer league – once again, leading up to the season, uh, you and I basically in, in the same regiment of, of what we're doing. And, you know, I, I would always try to go back and, and get shots at night. And I remember coming back being like, man, I'm, I'm the only one here. Like, no one else is doing this. And I'd get there and, and K-Nun is, is like already getting shots up. Or like, I'm finishing my workout and, and K-Nun's coming in. And it's like, it, it was then that I realized like, man, like this dude has it incredible ability but like he's earned this like this has been like hard work and crafted you yeah. know like people people just see you put the ball in the basket and, and they say oh you know he's a natural scorer this or right. that right. but I you know I want to take this moment to just like give you the credit that like you earned like you put in the hours upon hours like this stuff doesn't just happen um so just in in, in talking about your work how has that then, you know, you go into that your first year really in the NBA, how did that really serve that summer and that whole offseason serve as like a springboard for you really coming onto the scene and, and really taking the, the league by storm, honestly, in your first year? Yeah. I mean, bro, like you said, bro, I put in a ton of hours to be able to perform the way that I do. And um, it's just preparation, bro. That's all. And um we had a, a great summer going into summer league. And then after summer league, we put in more work to be ready for our first season in the NBA. And, and it just comes, it just comes from, from putting in the work that, that what gives me confidence, you know what I'm saying? And once, and once you have that confidence is you feel unstoppable. So that's where it comes from. I want to ask both of you about uh, Miami and just being in that, setting because there's a long history of undrafted guys who have had success there and you two are now part of that list. I'm curious what you attribute that to. Like do you guys is it the developmental program there in Miami is, you know, top notch? Is it that they know that they can lean and believe on guys like you 
what is it that you guys think, you know, uh, when you find yourself in Miami, when you're looking at that list of people who have had success, what is it that leads to like that belief in yourself? It's like, oh, I, okay, I can do this too. Yeah, definitely. You definitely believe in yourself first, uh, first and foremost to be able to accomplish the things you want. And then, I, then give credit to the, the uh, Miami Heat scouting staff and, and front office for, for seeking guys like myself and Duncan, you know what I'm saying? That's real under the radar, but hardworking guys that has talent, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's hard to come by and we're, we're one of the few um, to have that. And it's just a, just a super honorable position to be in, you know what I'm saying? To have that opportunity as well. And then to flourish and to flourish in it as well too. So it's just a testament to, all around uh, myself, the people around me, the the Heat staff and, and front office and everybody. Yeah, I, I think Kanan uh, says it well in that it's it's like multi-layered, right? In that it's, it's not just one thing. I think it's the organization in and of itself is like has the stability to go out and, and see guys and find value in guys um, and, and have guys like fill specific roles. But then also you know, like the, the coaching staff to develop, uh, you know, play to people's strengths and then also give guys like us, you know, who didn't have their names called on draft night opportunities. You know, there's a lot of, and I'm not calling out any specific franchises or organizations or anything like that, but there are a lot of places where I think teams feel obligated to play the guys that they draft or play the guys that they pay money to, a lot of money to. I think, you know, Kanan, I don't know if you can, speak to this as well but like one thing I always knew in Miami is like the guys that are going to help the team win are going to be on the floor like and that was regardless yeah. um you know you look at last year both Kanan and I started early on in the year two we had two undrafted guys in the starting lineup and I just don't think there are a lot of organizations that that do that just because of maybe the optics or whatever, but like they're just strictly results based, like whatever wins, you know, whatever we got to do to help us win. And I think, um, like even before the season, uh, me and Spo had a conversation about that. Like he gave me, he instilled confidence in me telling me that we play guys that help this team wins. He told me, don't look at the contracts and think they're going to be on the floor just because they make the most money. It's whoever helps this team wins. Is That's who I'm going to play. He, he told me that flat flat out. And that just gave me even more confidence. Yeah, no, that's that, that's real, man. To, to hear, to first off, know that there's a track record of success of guys in your shoes, I think makes a big difference too in that they have had guys, undrafted guys, come in and yeah. be successful and be given opportunities. Um, Kanan, I, I got a, another question about your mentality in terms of, you know, something that I just find like super admirable is how you just show up every single day, uh, just like even keel, even demeanor, never too high, never too low. Uh, you know, regardless of what your role is, uh, you know, it's it's changed somewhat. This year has just been crazy, uh, but one thing as a team, and obviously I know the coaching staff feels this way too because they they tell us, but like people can always rely on on K Nunn to to be there and whatever his whatever's asked of him, like he'll rise to the occasion. Is that just like a I'm a, I'm gonna always be ready, like just kind of keep that mentality, or is it like where do you where do you kind of gather that ability from? I guess. Yeah. Um, it's hard to say exactly where I get it from, bro, because it's like, I think the base of it is just simply coming from Chicago. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, it's bigger things you have to worry about every day living in Chicago. You know what I'm saying? You have to be ready for whatever. You never know what, what will happen. You know what I'm saying? So I think that's the base of it. But then again, like my entire, ever since I've been playing basketball and, and watching basketball, I've had, um, first of all, my dad was a great coach for me. And he, he instilled some things in me to help me be the player that I am. And then I always watched professional, I always watched the NBA and professional athletes. 
And even some that that being Chicago, that's around still that comes and talks to me and things like that. They always tell me little stuff like that to be ready. You never know. You know what I'm saying? Take advantage of the opportunity. Little things like that. It always stuck to me. And ever since I was little, I just been trying to stack days and days on top of each other. Great days to, to be the player that I am. I think that's where it comes from. We, uh, Duncan kind of glazed over your four state championships in, in the intro that we gave you, but that is remarkable. And that's legendary. That's legendary. Four stuff. straight. Four for four. Yeah. Just remarkable. And that, I mean, that's like an all time high school team. You played with Jabari Parker. Yeah. Uh, I, growing up in Kansas city, you know, Chicago is not necessarily next door, but pretty close. And I remember always hearing about Simeon and how just dominating you guys were as just a program. Uh, you were inducted into the, uh, the hall or your Jersey was retired there, which is yeah. a very short list, but I think that just speaks to how, uh, you know, the kind of career that you've had. Can you just speak a little bit about, uh, that program and then your four years there? Did you, did you guys, were there any close games or were you guys just rolling over people for four years? <laughs> it was a handful of close games, only a handful, <laughs> but it was some teams in the, um, red South, like you have a team like, uh, crane. You know what I'm saying? That's from the West side that'll give us a run every time. You know what I'm saying? I couldn't name you one player on their team that that was successful in college, but they all played hard. You know what I'm saying? Gave us a run every time. But uh, <laughs> it's crazy, bro, because um, all my four years at Simeon was, man, immaculate. I mean, it goes to back to the previous question. Um, Duncan Nags was how I stay how how do I stay consistent as much as I do? And um, it goes all the way back to Simeon, Simeon days where you will have a player on the bench who's just as consistent as Jabari and me, you know what I'm saying? But he never got in the game, like not even a second. And you're like, damn, why he don't get in the game? Or you'd be like, why does he even playing this hard? bro? like, you playing way too hard. And you never getting in the game. <laughs> and um, in practice, he would go at us every day. So we would have to bring it every day, like in practice, wherever. And I think the culture there, that's where it all started. They, there's a, a winning basketball program at Simeon that they just build players, you know what I'm saying, from the court to starting off. We never, I'm going to say, we never used the weight room at Simeon ever. But we would work out like a body workout. We would go outside and run, you know what I'm saying, around the city for conditioning on a concrete sidewalk, you know what I'm saying? Be out in the grass, jumping jacks, sit-ups, push-ups, stuff like that. <laughs> like a drill sergeant, bro, something. So <laughs> Old <it> school. Was, <laughs> yeah. It was crazy. So that, that that's that's the secret to winning four straight. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> Run around the city, push-ups, sit-ups. You don't need the weight room. You don't need the squat rack. Yeah, Just knock out some push-ups and get to hooping. And grind it out while you're in high school. Definitely get started winning culture. We want to try hard to not turn this podcast into just like a heat love fest. But when we've got two heat guys, it's hard. It's hard not to. But hearing you talk about you know, the practice and the stay ready and the mentality in high school, it sounds a lot like what we've come to know is heat culture. Because, you know, you guys are notorious for having like these tough practices. I think Duncan's talks about like guys wearing knee pads, like just getting after it. With this year and how crazy the scheduling is, you guys are playing like every other day. I think you guys have played like five games in the last eight days or something crazy like that. What's practice look like now? Uh, for you guys is it toned down a little bit or are you guys still getting after each other uh whenever you can uh it's toned down because we play every other day you know what i'm saying so most of the time we're taking that that, that day off in between and you're just getting work in yourself whatever you need you you get into that whether that's training table workout lifting whatever you need to do individually you take care of that in between uh games but the practices have definitely um, have lightened since this uh, new season is, is is here. Yeah, it's it's also obviously you know the the heat culture stuff. I think the reputation kind of precedes itself a little bit. Um, but you know what I think what they've come to expect with us is like 
you know, if we're not going to be doing that in between games, which we you just can't be, there's just got to be like a super attention to to detail and focus. And, you know, like Kanan said, you know, if we're not going to practice, like get in and get your work, handle your business, you know, get your recovery, get your treatment um, and just be like super diligent and on top of it. Uh, just because this year, like you said, our, our schedule is this run that we're on right now. I mean, I, I don't think we've had two days off since the yeah. beginning of January or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, two days is a stretch. <laughs> yeah, so it's 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 been a grind for sure. Um, everyone's going through it in some capacity, but I think just this year in general across the league, everyone's had to adjust a little bit. So uh, it's it's definitely been different. Okay, and I I uh, I want to ask one thing about last year, just in terms of, I just remember you like gaining momentum and and you know, all of a sudden you're breaking these records and you're coming onto the scene. And I was kind of doing not something similar in that I wasn't doing those things that you were doing, but like, I felt like I was kind of coming into my own as an NBA player as well. And I had this mentality of like, man, this is crazy, man. Like I'm, I'm playing in the NBA. Like this is wild. I, I'm wondering for you how different it was in that you you know you played USA basketball in high school you know you're you're on the teams with lottery picks and you know like you said you at a point you expected to be a lottery pick and arguably should have been um for you is it is it that like man this is this is dope or is it like yeah man like I'm I'm finally here like I, I'm made for this I was destined for this which which one or maybe it's neither and it's somewhere in between I would definitely say it's it's somewhere in between bro because uh, the patience that I had to have was crazy, bro. Like, I feel like I should have been in the NBA years ago. But then again, my I, then again, I feel like maybe my game wasn't ready. You know what I'm saying? And then, so I always had that mindset that I'm an NBA player. Like, since high school, bro, that's what I put into my mind. And um, it's crazy. Like, when you tell your mind something, you – you start to, but you believe it, you know what I'm saying? You start to be there. You start to act like it, talk like, it, you know what I'm saying? Doing the things you need to do to be actually become that. And that's what I did. And um, when I finally got to the NBA, it was just like, I took a deep breath, like, shit, I'm finally here. And now the journey starts. And it was definitely surreal for me, bro. To be honest, it, it definitely was surreal. Is there a specific moment in your career that, sticks out to you in terms of really serving as a springboard for your success so you know maybe it, it is draft night you know where you don't get what you want or you know something a conversation that you've had or some sort of adversity you faced that really shaped your perspective and ultimately helped lead you to where you are today yeah i felt like um throughout high school and college i was a good player you know what I'm saying? I was a, a good player on my team. I was uh, one of the better players on my team to, to help us win and things like that. I had great accolades and awards and stuff like that. But I really felt like my game did a 360 my red shirt year at Oakland. That's when I tapped into a whole nother level, bro. Like, the ground was, was definitely real. Like, I didn't I didn't do anything anymore. I didn't, I wasn't going to college parties. I wasn't hanging out with friends and none of that. Like I was really locked in to getting better. And that's when I seen my game change. And that's when I know things are different. And, and what does that look like? You know, you're not playing all year. Like what is that like late nights in the gym on the gun? Is that you're getting working with a manager or an assistant coach? Or is it just you a, a ball in a rim like just hours in the gym working on your craft by yourself? It was everything, but it was after practice. It was before practice, getting the workout in with my, with the assistant coach. You know what I'm saying? It was after practice, getting some shots up. It was late nights. It could be a Friday, Saturday, Sunday night on the weekend, at midnight, one o'clock in the morning, I'm going in the gym. It was, it was that, bro. Like it was, it was nice where I would go to, the, I would walk to the gym because we stayed very close. You know what I'm saying? Two five minute walk. 
to to the uh, our practice facility. It was nice where I would go in the gym and the door to the lights are off, bro. I'm like, what the hell? Like, I told everybody knows I'm coming in the gym. You know what I'm saying? Leave this door open so I can turn the lights on. The door is locked. So it was night. It was, and that happened multiple times. So it's nights that I'm have the gun out in a in an arena with no lights on shooting, bro. <laughs> it was nice like that. And and I think that's where, and like I said, I saw my game elevate. Hey man, find a way, man. No, no excuses. I love it. <laughs> just just K9 in there, lights off. Don't mind yeah. him, man. He's just getting his work in. I love it. That's splashing. Awesome. You hear splashing with the lights off. <laughs> I think they should implement a mandatory redshirt year in college because it's it worked really well for both of you guys. I think it's so interesting, but it makes sense. Like you get a year extra to develop. I assume also, Kendrick, you get accustomed to the program. Like you learn the offense. Things just slow down for you a little bit instead of learn just being the offense. This it. man was the offense. It was it was give Kate on the ball and let him go. There was no offense to learn. Learn his spots. Learn his spots. Fair enough. Uh, no, nah, Dave, you're you're right. I think. The separator for the the redshirt year, and Ken, I don't know how you feel about this, but it's all about the mentality in which you approach it. For me, it was, all right, I have one year with the best resources in the world at Michigan to become the best player I can be in 365 days. Um, I think if you get caught up in, oh, man, I'm sick, I'm not playing or, you know, this or that, or like, I'm just going to chill or, or do whatever. Obviously, that that's obvious. If you're not working, that'll catch up to you. But I think the the separator is here, like hearing Kanan say that is, is no surprise. Like you watch, you watch what he did in his senior year and it's like, all right, of course he was grinding the year before. You know, it's, it's like that, uh, you know, the saying like, the season is always going to ask what you were doing that summer. And I think yeah. it's it's times 10 with the redshirt year because it's like that season is going to ask, you know, what you were doing the previous year when no one no one knew what you were doing because you weren't playing on on yeah. game days. So uh, I, I just think it's just so important to, to have that mentality that Kane Nunn's talking about. And obviously you, you've had it, you know, long before um, – you know, that summer and, and or that, that year, I should say, back to, like you said, the, those Simeon days. Yeah, bro. And that's not that's not an easy thing to do, bro. Honestly, if you if you look around, kids had that opportunity before and it, it goes left like 90 percent of the time. You know what I'm saying? So it takes some real discipline to be able to do that. For sure. Um, all right, Kanan. So we got a, we got a little segment that we wrap up with. Uh, it's an undrafted segment. So. We're going to give you three different topics. Basically, we want you to pick uh, the the undrafted, the overlooked of each of the topics. So we don't want any mainstream answers. We want uh, the diamond in the rough, if you will. <laughs> so I'm going to take the first one. I want to know uh, Hooper from Chicago that you feel doesn't get enough love, isn't talked about enough, and has some serious game. Uh, I'll have to go with my young fella. His name is Ahmad Bynum. Ooh, he's, uh, I like it. Yeah, he's, uh, he's at Simeon currently right now, going into a senior year. It's uh, actually uh, Will Bynum's nephew. Okay. Remember Will Bynum? Who yeah, played? yeah, Chicago legend. Yeah, yeah. It's his nephew. And man, this kid's sick, bro. He got, he got all of them. He got everything, bro. He has um, some game. A mob Bynum. All right. Well, you you just put everyone on notice, man. Nickname is Black Cat. You got a nickname, bro. Oh, killer. <laughs> That's when you know it's real. In high school, kids are getting nicknames. That's nice. Black Cat. All right. We'll, we'll keep the eyes out for Black Cat. Dave, go yeah. ahead. What you got? Black Cat is nice. Um, all right, Kendrick. Next one I'm going to ask you is fashion brand. I've heard from an unnamed source. He might be on this call with us. Uh, that you are you are uh, a fashionista, so I need to know your uh, your underrated, underappreciated fashion brand. Well, you don't got to hear it from me. This man's on league fits every other day. <laughs> True. <laughs> the game the game speaks for itself, man. All you got to do is look at his IG. Uh, let's see the underrated man. I'm I'm real versatile, bro. I like so many brands, bro. Like it don't even have to be. A mainstream brand, you know, underground brand. Like if it's nice, if I think it's n nice enough for me to wear, 
I will wear. Like it could be my friend's brand, anybody brand. I think so give me one though. You gotta you gotta give us one. I'm gonna go with the uh, up up and coming brand. They just started. Um, they only have a couple things out now. It's called Dollar Sign Junkie. Dollar Sign Junkie is tough. Um, okay. Just it's it's new. You guys should be hip to it. Um, maybe in a couple months. I'm going to start putting on some fits, <laughs> putting that together. That's such a like condescending. Like, oh, no. uh, it'll get to you guys eventually. <laughs> oh, for real. Canine's in the know. They better be sending you something after this little plug. Oh, for sure. And, and of course, and of course, the one, it's um, it's not mainstream yet, but I've been wearing it for some years now. Uh, Richeza. That's Richeza, um out of Atlanta. Yeah, that's that's a nice that's a nice tough tough brand too. Um, all right, last one I got, and that is NBA City. So I don't I don't want to hear LA. I don't want to hear New York. I want the the road trip that you're low key excited about, where everyone else, man, like ah, it's just all right. But K nine, like you like going to this place, Chicago, man. Come on, man. All right, that's fair. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. That was, a soft, that was an underhand toss. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Even though uh, it'd be freezing, like when we go back, you know what I'm saying? We usually go back around this time, February, March, and it's freezing, but I love going back, bro, just to see the city. All right, that, that, that's a good answer. Um, all right, K9. Well, we really appreciate your time, man. I know you're a, a busy guy. You got plenty going on. So uh, thanks for taking the time, bro. No doubt, bro. Appreciate you having me on this, bro. Dope. Always. All right, my guy. I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> All right, right, right.